Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. But we've been in a series entitled Rebuilt to Last. And so, honestly, what you've been seeing on the outside as you've been coming on our property is really symbolic of what God's been doing in our hearts and in our lives. And uh, we started this series, I think, about 15 weeks ago now, maybe 14 weeks ago. And uh, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. Can you believe that today we will have completed a whole entire book together as a church? Isn't that awesome? Uh, some, some of you come in, you know, on Sundays um, here live, some online, some catching the podcast throughout the week. But as a church, uh, today we're going to conclude this, uh, this whole entire book together, um, uh, Nehemiah chapter 13. And here's what we've been doing is we've been paralleling the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, really the city of uh, Jerusalem, to the rebuilding of our lives and our souls. And we've been noticing as we've been going through this book that there's so many parallels. We've been pulling principles of how that went down. And we've even talked about how there's opposition in the book of Nehemiah that um, people, some people didn't want, the, the, you know, want them to rebuild and how that we can experience opposition in our life. And just pulling all these great principles and applying it to the rebuilding of our life spiritually. And uh, been getting so many great reports of what God is doing in, in people's hearts as they not only hear the word, uh, but they apply the word to their life. And uh, yesterday was just a great example of, uh, of really, I think, what we've been going through for the last, uh, you know, 14 or 15 weeks. And that is we, uh, we, we kicked off all of our men's events uh, for 2022 yesterday. And, uh, man, it, the place, the ca- we did it in the cafe. Uh, we had our expectations set on uh, 20 guys showing up and 42 guys showed up, and, um, which was awesome. And uh, why am I sharing with you how awesome it is? I'm, just, I'm celebrating all of the guys that showed up, and I'm shaming all the guys that didn't, okay? <clears throat> just, just being honest and transparent, all right? Uh, but we are, we're going to be gathering together on the first Saturday of every month. And I'm telling you, there was a moment, I just got to say this, there was a moment Miguel, Pastor Miguel looked at me as we're about ready to get started. He said, hey, I got my guitar in the car. Do you want me to go grab it? And I'm like, yeah, go grab it. And, uh, man, Pastor Miguel grabbed that guitar, and we started to sing. We just sang one song, and we didn't even sing the whole song because we didn't have any words or projector. We didn't even know the words of the song. Like, uh, but I'm telling you, and of all the guys that were there, they, 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 they know what I'm talking about. There was just this moment, man, where all of these guys were singing. And I got to say, we sounded pretty good. Uh, Betsy, I got a recording. I can play for you later, and maybe you can pull some dudes onto the worship team. But... Uh, I was just like, man, the presence of God, it was just so strong in that moment. And then we just had a powerful time sharing some principles, which I might revisit some of those and maybe even the passage for Father's Day next week. But man, just such an incredible time. But, but to me, what it is yesterday was really just um, uh, kind of a catalyst of, of some things, but also just a representation of what God has been doing over the last 14 weeks. Um, guys that literally 14 weeks ago, man, they didn't know what was going to happen in their marriage, if their marriage was even going to work out. Um, guys struggling with, with, you know, maybe certain, you know, uh, addictions and different things. And, but, man, here we are 14 weeks, and God's been doing what we've been talking about. And it's just so powerful to see. And so we've been paralleling this and uh, really looking at the fact that, um, that you know, they, they took the rubble uh, of the walls and they rebuilt something. And so, too, God wants us to not stay in the rubble of our life, but to take those pieces and put it back together and rebuild, but not just rebuild something, but rebuild something that will last, right? Rebuild a soul, a spirit, a man, a woman, an individual, a marriage, right? That will last. 
Um, and so today I'm going to ask you this question, and then we'll get into uh, chapter 13 here. The question I want to ask is this, what becomes of our lives once it is rebuilt by God's grace? What, what's next? Um, I think one thing we're going to see today as we jump into Nehemiah chapter 13 is that uh, the building never stops. Um, that it's never complete. How many of you guys ever built a new house before or maybe remodeled a house and, and uh, you know, you've been in it now for 20 years and you realize there's still more work to do? Yeah, and I'm not talking about you want to change the paint color because you got tired of it. I'm just talking about the project that you started 20 years ago isn't complete. Right? Like, man, maybe we should finally put the baseboards, you know, on or maybe we should finally carpet, you know, whatever it is. Um, and it just seems like, well, here's the thing. You got to understand something that um, although by God's grace, he'll pick up those big bulk pieces and we're involved in that and he begins to rebuild something um, that, that he's not done and he won't be done until the day he returns. And I think what happens sometimes is that um, we, we, by God's grace, you know, he comes in and he touches an area of our life and we've been so used to dysfunction that the, the pieces that he rebuilds feels like it's fully complete. Does that make sense? Like we're so used to destruction and dysfunction that even a little bit, like if, if we take it back to Nehemiah and they were rebuilding the walls, I mean, they, they've been lying in ruins for so long that even rebuilding the wall to maybe knee height, it's like, oh, look at the walls being rebuilt or it's done, you know? And I think so oftentimes in our life that, man, God's grace is there and we experience forgiveness through repentance and, man, some great things are happening or maybe, you know, somebody, uh, maybe in a marriage situation, you know, we, 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 we start to find some reconciliation, but we're so used to dysfunction that even a little bit feels like, oh, man, we've arrived. Uh, but what we're going to see today in chapter 13 um, is that's not the case. And so I want to talk to you uh, for the next few moments about going the distance, going the distance, going the distance in your faith, going the distance. Nehemiah chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, On that same day as the book of Moses was being read to the people, the passage was found that said no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God, for they had not provided... Um, uh, for they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them, through our, uh, though our God turned the curse into a blessing. When this passage of the law was read, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. And I want to pause there and just kind of catch us up. What's happening? Here's what's happening. Uh, we concluded uh, last week in chapter 12 with a big celebration. How many of you guys remember that message? Two, two bands walking along the top of the wall celebrating. Man, it was like this epic moment. Uh, well, here's what's happened. After that epic moment, uh, Nehemiah goes uh, back to Persia like he told the king to be the cupbearer. And so he set everything in order. They had this big celebration, and, and, and then he leaves, and he, and he goes back. Well, he returns now to revisit to find out, hey, what's going on? And when he comes back to visit, and now, now chapter 13, there's this, these big moments, but then there's also things he addresses that were probably over the course of years. But as he returns, he discovers that, wait a second, man, all of the things that they, they took an oath to in chapter 10, if you remember that, they swore to an oath. As a matter of fact, they said they would take a curse on their life if they didn't continue to walk in the ways of the Lord. Nehemiah shows back up and looks and says, man, they're slipping back into their old pattern. They're slipping back into their old, old ways. But here, one of the things they continued to give themselves to, which is one of the principles we talked about, was at least they're still reading the word. All right? 
says on that day as they read the word, they're reading the scriptures and they're reading some passages about, about foreigners. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not going to go too deep into this. This is not, when, when we read some of this, this is not about interracial marriage, okay? Nowhere in the Bible does God, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Prohibit, is that the right word? Yeah, uh, interracial marriage, all right? Um, what this is about, it's about they've allowed these other nations to come in now and infiltrate their faith and begin to pull them away rather than them pulling them into the faith. Does that make sense? So I don't want you guys who are reading this think, oh my gosh, like, like scripture in this church and God is an interracial marriage. That's not the point. The point is, is that God doesn't want us being pulled away. He doesn't want our faith being diluted. Are you with me? Okay, so Nehemiah returns, he discovers all this, verse 4. Before this happened, now this person, the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms in the temple of our God, and who was also relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storeroom and uh, placed in it, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm my eyes, I should have worn my glasses today. I'm getting old. Placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain of offerings, frankincense, various articles of the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings of the priests. So here's another thing that's happening. They've actually taken away all of the tithes that were coming in and no longer have a storeroom for that because there's not as much coming in, which was a part of one of other messages, and now they've turned it into a chamber. I was not in Jerusalem at the time, for I had returned to King Xerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of the reign, though I later asked his permission to return. And when I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about uh, all of the evil deeds in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I commanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so that the singers who were to conduct worship services had all returned to work their fields. Immediately, I confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Does this sound familiar? Right? What's happened? They've slipped back into the old ways. Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms. And Shiliam, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and Padanai, one of the Levites, I had appointed and. Hanan, son of Zakur, and a grandson of Mat that person, as their assistant. These men had an excellent reputation, and it was their job to make honest distributions of their fellow Levites. Now, I want to pause there, too, and then we're going to pray. Is Notice what it says about them. It says they were, what? Excellent reputation and honest. But doesn't that sound familiar also? Okay, here's what's happening. What's happening is, man, what started out so great in the rebuilding of the walls has all of a sudden fallen back into their old ways. So let's talk for the next few moments about going the distance. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. God, your word is complete. God, your word is final. And I pray that, God, your word would come forth in this place today. 
Um, God, it would, it, would, it would correct us in areas that we need to be corrected. It would instruct us in areas where we need to be instructed. And at the end of it, God, we would walk out of here, God, with a greater understanding of your grace. So, Lord, I pray you'd help me now in this moment, create a place for your people to discover your son Jesus, know your incredible love, and realize the amazing plan that you have for each and every one of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Uh, how many of you guys would be honest enough to say that you like to watch Hallmark movies? Okay. Okay, good. Some people don't, like, some people are like, I'm not raising my hand, right? Some of the dudes, I know, like, right? Or uh, maybe it's not a Hallmark movie, but here's the thing. Hallmark movies are especially bad, but here's the thing about Hallmark movies and so many other movies um, is that um, they all turn out the same way, Right? There's, there, there's this love thing that happens, and then there's like some turmoil within it. And it does, here's the thing with Hallmark movies. It's always the same plot. It's just a different scenario, right? Sorry, if you've watched one, you've watched them all. And, and all you Hallmark lovers are like, that's not true. It's like, yes, it is. It's just a different actor, different actress, same plot, different, you know, scenarios, and, right? And at the end, they end up together, and everything is awesome, and they live happily ever after, Right? And, and it's kind of like uh, most movies, right? There's always a happily ever after. Now, here's the deal. Had we ended Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 12, we could say that that is true to real life, right? Last week, I mean, if we could just end there, if, if Nehemiah chapter 13 was not in the Bible and it ended in Nehemiah chapter 12, we could say all Hallmark movies are factual and true, right? But the reality is, is that, man, it didn't end there. Had it, man, it was awesome. There were bands marching around the tops of buildings and people were celebrating and man, life is good. And then chapter 13 rolls around and they realize, wait a second, what happened to happily ever after, right? Here's what happened to happily ever after. It's not real life, right? Life is full of ups and downs. Life is full of twists and turns. Why is that? Because life is full of humans. And wherever there are humans, there are gonna be messes especially if they're little humans in the teenage range. Come on, somebody, right? This, this is where humanity is, there's going to be messes. And here's the thing, God understands that. Here's where we're at. Nehemiah chapter 13 is actually the last chapter of the whole entire Old Testament, okay? Um, this right here parallels, actually, with the last book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible being Malachi. Malachi is the prophet that comes along the scene and writes about what's taking place in Nehemiah chapter 13. Are you with me? Okay. So as, as, as Nehemiah is writing this, so if you go to, and you got to read Malachi through that, through that lens. It'll help it'll make so much more sense. As he's writing this, there is some displeasure for what's taking place, but there's also some correction given. He comes out and he sees what's taking place. He's like, hey guys, um, this, this, this isn't really what, what, we, what we talked about. This, this is not, not, not what needs to be done. Do you remember the celebration? Do you remember the, if you've been with us in the messages, right? Here's, here's, here's the reality of life, okay? I already mentioned it. There's tons of dysfunction happening in chapter 13. Why is that? And here's something you gotta understand. Um, how many of you guys have blamed your circumstances for things before? Every hand should probably go up, right? Dysfunction happens in life, but it's not because things are dysfunctional, it's because people are dysfunctional, right? Uh, we, we talked a little bit about that yesterday with the men, like, hey, look, if there's an issue, like, own it, right? 
dysfunction doesn't just, just pop up. Dysfunction happens because there are, are people there, right? And here in chapter 13 is a snapshot, really, of, of what happens to all of us. All of us. Here's what happens. What happens is, is we live our life through a series of fires, right? Life is going pretty good, something devastating happens, or something's going on in our life, and we, and we run to put out the fire. And we get the fire out, and the calm sets in, and we're feeling good about ourselves, and we're like, okay, and then we just move on until there's another fire. This happens in our spirituality. This happens in our church attendance. This happens in our reading of scripture. This happens in our prayer life. Things are going so good, and man, marriage is good, and life is good, and the kids are good, and finances are good, and, and all of a sudden you're just kind of cruising and coasting, and then something bad happens, then you remember, wait a second, you run back to church, or you run back to God, or you run back to your small group, come on somebody. You're like, man, we need to pray, and man, we need to seek God, and, and, and we pray and we seek God, and, and all of a sudden things start getting good, and then we start just living life again. Does anybody know what I'm talking, am I the only one in this room that does that? Okay, and I'm the pastor, right? I know what it's like. I'm no different than you, right? Things were just good, and we just kind of cruise in, and then a fire, we got to put it out. But God doesn't want us to live life that way. God does not want us to live life waiting until there's something wrong, and then we go and fix it. Are you with me? And God doesn't want us to wait until, here's the thing is, most people wait to work on their marriage until there's a major issue. Why would you wait to work on the greatest relationship you could ever have? Why would you wait until there's an issue? Why not invest in that all the time, right? Why not, why not go to a marriage seminar before you actually need the marriage seminar? Are you with me, right? What, what if we lived life that way where we're constantly, man, 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 doing things to not chase and put out fires, but to continue to grow and continue to strengthen and continue. Are you with me? Okay. Nehemiah comes and he's actually frustrated. Matter of fact, if you drop down to verse 21, you can read it. Nehemiah threatens to beat people up if they, if they don't stop. It's true. Read it. He's like, dude, I'm going to rip your hair out, man. I'm going to beat you. I'm not paraphrasing a little bit, but it's there. Verse 21. Read it. Okay. Why we run from fire to fire constantly, God doesn't want us to live that way. Matter of fact, Matthew 24, 13 says this. It says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures till the end shall be saved. Now, here, there is a key word there, and it's called endurance. So listen, I know that things aren't always going to be easy. Yes, there's going to be challenges, but listen to me. I believe those challenges in life, those things that confront us, those things that challenge us, those things that come against us, maybe they're not avoidable, but what we can do is make sure that we are stronger when we walk through them. Are you with me? Stronger when we walk through them. And I, I want us to not just come out of this on chapter 12 and be like, woo! I want us to look at chapter 13 and realize, wait a second, rather than pointing to the finger at all these people like, oh my gosh, how can they do that? Right? Rather than that, why don't we look in the mirror and say, man, how can I do that? Because the reality is, is we're no different than they are. Are you with me this morning? We're no different than they are. The reality of, of humanity is, is, is we are prone to slip right back into 
You know, it's like it's kind of like you you spend, you know, the day cleaning your room. And like 24 hours later, you look around, you're like, what is happening? I just cleaned this, you know? How does this happen? It's because we're dysfunctional. You know, if you keep dropping your clothes on the floor, they're going to be on the floor, right? If we continue to neglect the things of God and the ways of God, there's going to be problems and issues in our, in our life. Can I, give, can I just give you a few thoughts here real quick out of this passage? First thing I want you to notice before I give you any points is this, is notice what brought them back. It was reading the word. And they stood there and they read the word, and as they read the word, wait a second, we're doing that, and we shouldn't be doing that. So before I even get to any of these points, just know this, you better stay in the word. Staying in the word, what staying in the word does, staying in the word builds a large platform for the Holy Spirit to come and bring correction in our lives. Right? I've said it before and I've said it in this series, if you're having a hard time hearing the voice of God, it's probably because you're not reading the word of God. The more of, of God's word you read, the more platform the Holy Spirit has to bring correction and direction and instruction. And so here they are, they're reading the word, and as they read it, they're convicted. They see Nehemiah steps back in, and boom. So here they are, ready? Going the distance. How are we going to go the distance? Think of these as, as, as guideposts. Think of them as like the, the lighthouse, right? When, you, when, man, I need to see, okay, I'm going the right direction. Think of these things as guideposts. The first one is this. If I want to go the distance, number one, walk out your faith with others. Walk out your faith with others. Um, everyone needs a Nehemiah in their life. Everyone needs a, a Nehemiah in their life. Now, there's so many parallels between Nehemiah and the Holy Spirit. So obviously, we, we want to get to a place where we're relying on the direction and the correction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible says he will lead us and guide us in all truth. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Okay, how do we get more of the Holy Spirit leading the word, read more of the word, platform, he comes, leads, guides, and directs. He leads us and guides us in all truth. But, but also, I want you to know that we need people in our lives. We need people like Nehemiah, who like in verse 21, uh, he comes in and says, this ain't happening and I'll, I'll fight for it if I have to, right? We all need people in our life that will love us no matter what, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're walking through, no matter what sin we committed, right? Because the reality is, and I, I believe this, and uh, maybe you're, you're a little different place theologically, but as sinners, we, or as saints, as Christians, we can still sin. It's a choice, right? But that will love us in those moments, not shame us in those moments, and that will bring us back to God's grace. And that's what Nehemiah does. Ezra also on the scene does the same thing. Nehemiah was a little more aggressive and is like talking about beating people. And Ezra was a little more gracious, a little more pastoral, you know, which is crazy because he was the prophet. But anyway, you know, brought, brought him back in, right? We need people in our lives. You need people in our lives. You, you cannot walk out your faith by yourself. And I know people say it all the time. No, I can't. It's just between me and Jesus. Listen, everywhere in Scripture that I see, I see God doing things in groups, in generations, in people groups, in nations, in, in, in gatherings, in churches. Are you with me? You were designed to live out your faith in a community. 
And so you need people that will love you no matter what, but you got to allow those same people to challenge you no matter what as well. See, here's the thing. I think all of us, when we mess up, we want the person, um, you know, once it's discovered, we want the person in our life that will love us in that moment. Are, are you with me? Man, I blew it. I already feel the shame, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't need somebody else coming alongside being like, Pfft. you know, we talked about it. He who is out without sin cast the first stone, right? Okay? But here's the thing. You've got to allow those same people that will love you no matter what to be the same people that can call you out when they do see sin in your life. But none of us like that, right? We all want the person to bring us in, have a shoulder to cry, and I blew it. But then when you're, when you're in the, the moment of sin and whatever and doing stuff and it isn't public yet and someone comes along and challenges you on it, you get a chip on your shoulder. Or maybe you don't. I do. Okay. I'll throw me under the bus. Right? And we don't like that. But you know what? You better learn to like it. You better learn to embrace it. Because as iron sharpens iron, the Bible says we sharpen one another. So here's what happens too oftentimes is we tend to run with people that are as dull as us. Can, am I getting too real and too practical in church today? Um, I did a study on this one time. And in that scripture it says, as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. Um, the reason a knife gets dull is because it's cutting, some, it's cutting through something that is not as sharp as itself. That's why a tomato or a block of cheese, my favorite. Come on, any cheese lovers out there? Oh, so good. Um, over time, that knife gets dull. Why? Because it's constantly going against something that is not as sharp as itself. And so the only way you can sharpen that knife is by getting a substance that is harder than the knife itself. Okay? If, if you want to be sharp in life and you want to grow, you can't be hanging around with people that are just as dull as you are. That's why small group is important. That's why church is important. That, that, that's why it's good to have people in your corner that will love you no matter what, but will also call you out no matter what. Are you with me? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this, says two people are better than one for they can help another succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But someone who fails alone or falls alone is in real trouble. Are you hearing that? And you need to get into, can you walk out your faith with others? All of us need a Nehemiah in our life. Well, well pastor, who is that Nehemiah? It's not just a pastor. It could be a parent, it could be a friend. It could be a coach. It could be a counselor. It could be somebody. You better have somebody in your life that when they come back and revisit you, say, hold on a second. And I, you know, the way you were talking to your wife, I've actually done that before, which is, you got to do it delicately. Hey, man, I, just, I, I'm just going to say it, man. The way that you were talking to your wife didn't sound very loving. I mean, we're no longer friends with that, but you know, whatever. I have, I have that person in my life. His name is uh, Tony Ashmore, and there's several here, too, um, uh, on, uh, you know, on the executive leadership team. But Tony Ashmore, um, every time I talk to him, his first questions are, is, Ben, how are you doing? Yeah. How are you loving your wife? 
how are you loving your kids? And he may get to the one where he's asked how I'm loving the church, but he always goes, how are you doing? How are you loving your wife? How are you loving your kids? Because the reality is, is, as a leader of a church, if you're loving your wife, you're loving your kids right, you're loving the church right. But I mean, I'm so thankful for those moments. And there's some moments where I had to just confess some stuff and say some stuff. And I'm like, man, but you know what? He loves me. We all need a Nehemiah in our life because, man, it's not good to fall alone because the Bible says that person's in real trouble, right? Uh, so what am I saying? Come to church. Yeah, absolutely. Get, in, get into a community. Get into a small group. Get into a small group. Um, yesterday, you know, 42 men gathered together, but we are, we're all sitting at tables of like four or five. And I just challenged them. Hey, don't, don't get to know everybody's name here today because you'll probably forget it. But just exchange numbers with those five that are right there. What about you? Who do you have? Number two, something that they did and, and then that we can't do if we want to go the distance. Number two is do not compromise your faith. Do not compromise your faith. Now, here's the thing. I can say that, um, but here's the thing. I don't think any of us intentionally do that. I don't think you wake up in the morning being like, hmm, wonder how I can compromise my faith today. How many things can I do to neglect God and compromise my faith. The reality is, if, you, if, you're, if you're really seeking God and you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, I guess the young people don't like my message, they're taking off, so. so. Now they're getting ready for chips and guacamole, which is apparently more important than Jesus, but. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, sorta. Um, no one wakes up in the morning doing that. So how does our faith get compromised? Well, our faith gets compromised, and I think Jesus put it best when he looked at his disciples, and when he said, hey, in Matthew 16, 6, he says, I want you to be aware, uh, uh, leery and aware of the, of the leaven of the Pharisees. He was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. He says, I want you to be careful of that. They were going into this city. He said, I want you to be careful of that. Be careful of their teaching. And he uses the word leaven because that's what, you know, was, was used to, to a little bit put in and it makes the bread rise, right? And he says, and here's the analogy, it, just a little bit of their teaching can transform you from the inside out. And so when Jesus warned his own disciples, I mean, Jesus was right there in their midst and they're following Jesus, but Jesus had to pull them aside because he understood this, that, that compromise happens very subtly. Compromise isn't always a conscious decision. Compromise is I let a little of that in, I let a little of this in, I let a little of that in, and before we know it, all of a sudden, you know, your faith is compromised. That was the warning to them here again. Hey, don't allow that stuff in. So I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this, that, that I'm pretty sure none of us are actually actively pursuing compromising our faith. So what do we need to do? We need to be on guard. I mean, we especially when our kids were young, but obviously as they mature, they can make their own decisions because you train up a child in the way they should go. When they get older, they won't depart from it. But what are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you podcasting? Okay? Those are kind of big ones. Here's a better one. What kind of conversations are you having? That's a big one. And maybe even a more practical one. What kind of conversations are you having? I think we've all been there before. Um, where maybe you don't know somebody, and you're, you're in a, maybe a group, but somebody in that group, know, group knows them well and starts to talk about them and talk about them negatively, now what happens? You've got a little leaven inside of you towards that person. 
And so now every conversation you have with that person is now seen through the filter of somebody else's opinion of them. Are you with me? That happens. That's real. That's why the Bible says, avoid gossip. So what am I saying? I'm saying, man, don't allow any compromise in. Someone starts talking negatively about someone, even if it's true, it's not your thing. It's quiet today. It's, it's just, hey, look, you know what? I, I don't know what's going on with you guys, but I'm pretty sure they're a great person. I know you're a great person. It sounds like you guys need to work something out. Just stop it. That compromise is so subtle and it creeps in. It does, man, oh man, yeah, that, that Pastor Ben wasn't so on point today. Yeah, I noticed that too. He's kind of been off the last couple of weeks, which is so untrue, but whatever. Um, I love that, that worship song they sung. Did, did so-and-so sound off-key a little bit? Yeah, they're kind of always off-key. I don't, I don't know, when I was dropping my kid off at class, they didn't greet me the way I normally get greeted. Yeah, I noticed that too. They, matter of fact, they're horrible at, at teaching kids. You know? It just starts off with something little. Y'all catch what I'm saying? Don't compromise your faith. Well, how do I do that? I think Proverbs 4.23 puts it best. says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That, well, one translation says this, guard your heart with all diligence. You gotta be proactive, you gotta be diligent. You gotta put some guards up. There's just some, some things you don't allow in. There's just some conversations you don't have. There's just some things that you should do daily that like reading the Bible, spending some time in prayer, spending some time in worship, right? Do some of these things and then set up these guards for your heart so you don't compromise in your faith. Number three, just a couple more here. Number three, real simple, but, but sometimes real difficult. Stay involved in church. Stay involved in church. Uh, in this passage, if we read the whole thing, what you discover is they actually started neglecting uh, some of the things they're supposed to do in the temple. Some of the temple sacrifices and, and, and you know, different things, they were now neglecting. They weren't, they weren't staying involved in church. Now here's the thing. Um, church cannot save you, right? We are saved by his grace and his grace alone, right? The work of Jesus, what he did before, what he did on the cross, and what he's doing now via the Holy Spirit now in our lives. Man, we understand it's Jesus. Man, we can't, the, the church doesn't save us, but here's what I've learned. The church really does help keep you saved. It won't save you, but I'm telling you right now, if you stay involved, it'll help keep you saved. Because you'll be around those people that'll be like, hey, how are you doing? Uh, I was talking with one guy yesterday, and uh, I don't know if you guys have met Ruben. Ruben's man, he's, he's one of our, our leaders here at the church, and he's on fire. And I was talking to this dude yesterday. I was like, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing good. And you know what? Man, Ruben contacts me like twice a week and checks in on me. And the guy was like, it's, it's unbelievable. That guy's amazing, and I love it. Right? He's, Ruben's like a Nehemiah. Right? Here at church, you're going to find those people. Stay involved in church. I, I mean, I, I can't, you know, I, I don't have time to talk about all the benefits of church. Maybe we should do a whole series on it sometime. But there are so many benefits of church. 
You know that, that kids that go to school are actually more well-adjusted in school if they've gone to church? Those are facts. So you want your kid to enjoy their first years of, of school and be well-adjusted? Bring them to church. Let them experience separation anxiety here. <laughs> or better yet, you experience separation anxiety here. And it's usually a parent thing, right? Uh-oh, I'm stepping on toes now. The kid is going to be fine. Matter of fact, your three-year-old will not remember. I remember I'm so traumatized. You dropped me off at Canvas Church, kids. And that won't happen. They will, they will adjust, and they will be fine. And then when you drop them off at school, I'm telling you, you will be more at peace. They'll, they'll go in and play with their friends. And, right? That's just a natural benefit, right? But the spiritual benefit, staying involved in church. Right? Hebrews 10.25 talks about, hey, don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. Why would, that, why would that verse be in the Bible? Because there's benefits to being in church. There's benefits to being in church. As a matter of fact, and the more involved you are, the more likely you are to stay involved. Right? I, I was talking with somebody the other day, and I was, just, I was joking around with them. We have a good relationship, so I can do it. I was just like, bro, when's the last time you were at church? Because I was just there, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Like, you know, like when we celebrated our, um, yeah, when we celebrated our nine-year anniversary, I was like, bro, that was three months ago. It's like, no. I'm like, yeah. First, first weekend of March. It's like, oh, man. Right? It just happens, right? You just, one Sunday you decide to stay home, and then one Sunday turns into 10. And then pretty soon, 52 Sundays later, you're like, That one service I went to this year was awesome. It was the one that Miguel preached. It was phenomenal. It was so good. Talked about revival. It's awesome. Stay involved in church. Increase your involvement in church. Now, some of you are sitting right there, kind of looking around, like feeling, feeling convicted. Good. Some of you are sitting there like, I'm never coming back. I'm like, no, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, get involved, right? Find a place to serve. Find a place to serve. Get involved. My wife's looking at me like, okay, wrap it up, babe. Number four, band, you can come up, because that's a good sign on wrapping up, unless we do that song again. Hey, speaking about getting involved, we had, we had two new worship people on stage today. We had a brand new usher start for the first time today. We had a brand new children's worker start. Two, two brand new children's workers start today. Come on. Man. Yeah, it's good. Get involved. Stay involved. Stay involved in church. Hmm. This is what Hebrews uh, 10.25 says. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Nobody in this church. But, but encourage one another. Listen to what it says. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And here's the thing. When is it coming? I don't know, but it's a lot closer today than it was yesterday. Right? So in other words, hey, let's hang out together. Let's not neglect it. Let, let's, let's do it. 
Number four, finish with this one. Stay generous with your giving. Stay generous with your giving. We, we actually had a whole, a whole Sunday where we talked about that. Um, but it's right here in chapter 13. Now, remember how I said, um, this is the last chapter, last chapter of the, of, of, of the entire Old Testament. And, and it parallels the last book, Malachi of the Old Testament. And this is the one scripture that so many people go to when people aren't living generous. They go to Malachi 3, 9, and 10. What does Malachi 3, 9, and 10 talk about? It talks about, hey, you've robbed me. All right, this is the prophet Malachi. So you've robbed, you've robbed God of your giving. And they're like, what do you mean we've robbed you? How have we robbed you? Malachi goes in your tithes and your offerings. He's directly speaking to this moment in Nehemiah chapter 13. What's taking place? Well, they cleared out the storehouse. This guy moves in its own personal chambers, and now nobody's giving anymore. Okay? If we want to safeguard our faith and we want to go to the distance, stay generous with your giving. I don't know how else to put it. Stay generous with your giving. We talked about Matthew 6, 21. What does Matthew 6, 21 say? Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. Wherever your giving is there, your heart is also. Now, you know, since we planted this church, started Canvas Church nine years ago, I hang out with a lot of church planners. I hang out with a lot of pastors, learning from them, growing, keeping each other sharp. Um, there's a statistic on the back end of church that you probably don't know about, but I'm gonna let you hear it today. And the statistic is this. You can track when someone's about to exit the church and leave based on their giving. And it's like bulletproof. Someone's giving and they're involved and their, their finances are coming, they're involved and all of a sudden you look, here's the thing, they'll still serve, but all of a sudden you look and their giving is no longer there. I guarantee you within three months, they're no longer gonna be at the church. Why is that? It's very simple, it's so simple. What is it? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Whatever you invest in, and here's what you need to understand because it's not just the amount you're investing. We talked about this. We give with a cheerful heart. It's a hard thing. Here's how big of a heart thing it is, is that when you give of your finances to the church or to the place that you're involved in, what you're doing is you're not just giving, let's say it's $100, you're not just giving $100, you're giving a portion of your time in your life because it took time to earn that $100. Are you with me? And so what you're actually saying is, I'm actually invested in this place. It's not the monetary amount, it's the fact that, you know what, I worked really hard this week, and you know what, but understand that everything I have comes from him, and so I'm not just giving him an amount, I'm giving him back a portion of my time and a portion of my life. And that had been neglected. But here's the thing, if we wanna go the distance, if we wanna endure to the end, we can't just stay involved in church. Here's what we need to do, we need to make sure we're staying generous with our giving. It's a hard thing, stay invested in what you're and what you're a part of. Are you with me this morning? You wanna go the distance? And here it is, it's gonna go through real quick. Walk out your faith with others, be a part of a small group. Don't compromise your faith, put up some safeguards, guard your heart. Stay involved in church. And number four, stay generous with your 
with your giving. You sitting there saying, Pastor, man, I, I don't feel like I have safeguarded my faith. I don't feel like I've gone the distance. I feel like, you know what, I'm actually right back where they are in Nehemiah chapter 13. I feel like I've compromised. How do, you, how do you know the difference between a saint who sins and a sinner who sins? How do, you, how, do you, how do you know? Here it is, Proverbs 24, 16. Although a righteous man falls, for the righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Here's what I'm saying to you. You might be here today saying, man, I feel like I'm them in, in chapter 13 and I feel like I've compromised my faith. That's okay. God's grace is sufficient. Don't stay there, it's time to get up again. You might, you might, you might, man, okay, I've, I've got some things going and man, God is good. I'm, I'm, I'm loving my wife and my family and man, I'm coming to church and I'm finding a place to serve and then in 30 days, you kind of start falling off the radar. That's okay. Get back up. Come on, have a Nehemiah in your life. Get back up. Let's put some things in place. And let's get going again. Are you with me? But let's, let's do this. Let's be a church that puts some safeguards in so we can continue to go to the distance. Are you with me today? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet. God, we love you. God, we thank you. God, for who you are. We thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You know, as, a, as we close this service out, as a, as a pastor, you know, and you study and you prepare for the weekend and you think through, hey, what's gonna be shared? A big thing, you know, that always goes through my heart and, and, and this is with a lot of pastors, how are we gonna conclude the moment? How are we gonna conclude the service? And uh, last week, man, was such a great passage about celebration and man, they're marching on the walls and man, it's a fairy tale ending. And then I started studying 13 this week and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> we should have just left this one out of the series. But here's the thing, God, God allowed that to be there so that we could learn from it. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to pray. Band's going to play whatever they're going to play. Here's what I want you to do before you leave, if you can. And it could be two minutes, it could be one minute, it could be 30 seconds, I don't know how long. Um, is I want you to go the distance. And so as we pray out of this and we worship, you can stay as long as you wanna stay. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a conversation with God and say, God, how, what, what are the things I need to do to go the distance? No big parade, no big show, no big just Just you and him in this moment saying, you know what, God, I, I don't want to compromise my faith. I don't wanna go down that path and I don't wanna stray. I don't want, I wanna, I wanna go the distance in my faith. Are you with me? And you just do that between you and him. I'll pray. You can stay as long as you want. Make sure on your way out you support the young people. Plus, it's chips and guacamole. Nothing concludes a series like chips and guacamole. God, we thank you for today. God, we love you. God, we worship you. God, I'm asking right now, Lord, here for Canvas Church, that, God, we would put these things in place. That, God, we would be those, Lord, that, that, that take, uh, Lord, this passage serious and say, man, I don't want to just rebuild my life to then let it crumble so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly putting out fires. But I, I, want, I want to truly walk with others that will hold me accountable. I want to make sure that I put the things in so my faith is not compromised. 
I want to stay committed and involved, and I want to stay generous. And God, I pray that we would do that as Canvas Church. And as we continue to grow and we continue to get involved, more involvement would come. And that you'd be glorified in and through our lives. In Jesus' mighty name.